I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Are you ready for a murder story? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> so this murder happens on a campus. Lovely. And it's really scary. Great. <laughs> so. <laughs> Love scary stuff. <laughs> me too. Let's jump on in. Okay. Oh, it's also very satisfying at the end. Oh, really? Which oh, we normally good. don't do. Okay, yeah, because usually, I don't know, I do a lot of unsolved stuff. Yeah, you do. And it's like, eh, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> and like on the that worst. note, goodbye. <laughs> no, this one you'll have warm fuzzies all day. Oh, good. You do so many of those cases, and it's just really satisfying. <laughs> yes. This is probably the most. Good. So I'm excited to oh, tell yeah, you. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Okay, so our story is in Dallas, Texas, in the October of 1984 on the night of the Red River Showdown. Cool. So the Red River Showdown is the rivalry football game between the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas. And it takes place at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas every year during the opening weekend of the Texas State Fair. So awesome. People get so worked up about this weekend. (laughs) Like I can't even explain it to you it's so intense and it's you know a southern thing it's a southern thing it's annoying yeah <laughs> that's why i oh man why i was like peace out it's because of this weekend no i'm just kidding <laughs> this specific weekend that's the only thing no but it contributed <laughs> but anyways so our story starts after the game in 1984 so Three friends, Angela Somato, Anita Kadala, and Russell Buchanan, went bar hopping around downtown Dallas. So Angela and Anita were actually students at Southern Methodist University, which is the college in Dallas. And Russell was an A&M graduate living in Dallas, just like freshly graduated Texas A&M like, in his first job. So they're all around the same age. Anita and Angela are like 20, and he's like 23 or 24. Cool. So, the reason it's in Dallas, by the way, if you're wondering, is that Dallas is kind of right in between Austin, Texas, and Norman, Oklahoma. So, it's like easy driving distance for everyone. Gotcha. Just a side note, if you were wondering. (laughs) I was so curious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Angela and Anita are undergraduates, and they're also sorority sisters in SMU's Zeta Tau Alpha sorority. And Angela was actually the social chair of the sorority. So as you can imagine, she's really outgoing, really beautiful. She has long blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, our typical sorority. murder victim. <laughs> our typical. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Both of those things are accurate. We were in two different places for that. Okay, but there's truth in the fact that She's our typical murder victim because she's a typical sorority, sorority girl, mm-hmm. which translates to don't ever be in a sorority because you'll be murdered. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to say it translates to people only care about pretty people. Oh. <laughs> that too. I mean, more people get murdered. She's not the typical murder victim. She's the typical murder victim that gets covered. Yes. Which I'm guilty of because I'm covering it myself. Yes. But that's okay. But it's an interesting story. I mean, the same thing happened with, like, Suzanne Jovin and stuff. So I get it. Yes. <laughs> so, sorority sister. <laughs> so Russell and... Um, oh, I forgot to tell you. So, okay. Sorority sisters. Super cool. Pretty. But 
coolest thing about Angela that kind of sets her apart is that she was a double major in computer science and electrical engineering. Nice. So she's all these really great things. But then on top of that, she's pursuing two careers that are both traditionally male dominated. Yes. I so love it. I just think that's super awesome. And Break the barriers. And this is the 80s. This is the 80s. So, so even more so. Yeah. That's really cool. So I don't know a lot about Anita. I didn't really try to know a lot about <laughs> Anita. She's not really essential. She's not essential to the story. What I'm, I'm getting. sorry, Anita. <laughs> but Russell, I'll tell you about him. So like I said, he just graduated from A&M and he's kind of like an older guy in town. Not older. Older than college students right. in town and just moved there. And he met Angela a while back at a happy hour and he like asked her out, but she was like, no, I have a boyfriend. Um, but on this night, she just kind of had him in the back of her head and was like, you know, that would be nice to invite this guy out. He's kind of shy and it's like a really big night. And if he doesn't have anything going on, he can come with us. Right. Which is really sweet. Yeah, that is really nice. So Bring she him into the group. Yeah. So she also invited her boyfriend, Ben, but he had to get up really early for work the next morning. So he did not go out. So it's Angela, Anita and Russell. And they go to a couple bars and then they go home. So Angela is driving this night. And so she takes Anita and Russell both to their separate places. And then before she goes home, which is literally right by Russell's, like it's really close to Russell's apartment. So she would she could have just been like home in a minute. So instead of that, she goes 30 minutes out of her way to Ben's apartment. And she just says like, good night. Like, love you, and then leaves. Aw. I know. Just like a surprise drop-in. Really cute. Uh Uh-huh. She was probably missing him because he didn't end up being able to go or something like that. Yeah. Basically, the most precious thing ever. Cute. And then she goes home. So she gets home at about 1.45 a.m. And then, so, like, no one really knows, like, what happens right when she gets home, but she's home. And then all of a sudden, Ben gets a call from her. Okay. She was just there, so there's no reason to be calling him. Right. And when he answers, Angela says, talk to me. He's like, okay, what's going on? And she says, there's a guy in my apartment. And she doesn't really say much else because she's trying to be really discreet. But Mm -hmm. basically everyone assumes that it's like that situation where someone is like, hey, can I use your phone? Right. You know, like uses the phone and then is like, can I use your bathroom real quick before I leave? Can I get a drink of water? Something like that. Something super not that out of the ordinary. And right. then... But while, they do it in a creepy way. Yes. And so it makes her uncomfortable. And it's just that thing where you're like, well, if I call someone, they'll know someone knows I am here and what I'm doing. Yes. I mean, I've even done it where I pretend to call someone mm-hmm. if I'm like walking down the street and I'm just uncomfortable yeah. to make someone know like someone's on the phone with me. You can't murder me yes. right now. It's like they know where I am at the this exact moment. Yes. So, so I think... And everyone else thinks that it was that kind of situation. Sure. So Ben's like, yeah, of course, I'll talk to you. Uh But just as he's starting to, like, inquire more about the situation and, like, Mm -hmm. make sure she's okay. Right. The phone. um, Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. She, like, I don't know if she hung up or if the phone died. But the phone on his end. The phone goes out. Yeah. So he. And this is the 80s. So it may not have been a phone battery because I can just imagine it was probably a wall phone. Probably. Yeah. So he calls her back. She doesn't answer. He calls her back like repeatedly. She doesn't answer. And yeah. now the phone is dead. Oh, God. So. Ah! Oh, God. I'm so scared. This is my worst fear. This right here is my worst 
fear. Okay, keep This talking. is your worst fear. One of them. <laughs> I have many. <laughs> but just having like a creepy guy in my house. Well, and don't I have let to, anyone like, into your house. Well, yeah, I won't. But, you know, but at the same time, what if they were just in there or anyway. Right. One and of the like, fears. That's, and everyone says like Angela was super friendly. She would have opened her door to anyone, would have helped anyone. So it's, I would not have done that. But yeah. No victim blaming here. No, absolutely you never not. know. And he could have also been aggressive about it as well. Yeah, for you know? sure. And I mean, I don't think he could have been too aggressive at the front because then she wouldn't let him in. But also she could have like had her door open and had no other choice. I just don't even open my door in that yeah, situation. No. I lock everything twice. Well, so I just would have looked out the yeah. peephole and been like, oh, it's a random guy. I don't know. Like, like not yeah. opening that door. But yeah. like also... My other point is that Texas is really friendly. So yes, that's, that's another true. thing. Fort Collins is also that way, though. Not the way Texas. Not the way the South. The Southern friendly is different than Fort Collins friendly. Right. I prefer Fort Collins friendly. It's kind of boundaries. Like, yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to do with like who you are. It's just you're being nice. That's true. Whereas like back home, it's like if you don't say hi to someone walking by or open a door, you're labeled like an asshole. Interesting. It's really stupid. Southern hospitality is so weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. And they'll only do that if you're white, straight, assumably Christian, and you look put together. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to that That's the only time that that Southern hospitality is given. That it counts. Yeah. Can you tell I don't like it there? (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Anyway, okay. Okay, so... Line's dead. Yes, Line's dead. So if you're wondering why she didn't call 911 or why he doesn't call 911, I'll remind you that 911 kind of doesn't exist right now. And by kind of, I mean that 911 was established in 1967. But in 1984, when all of this is happening, less than 50% of the United States had an active 911 line. And more significantly, not everyone knew about it. It's really interesting. Yeah. Because, like, I, I never think about that usually just because it's so prevalent in our time. Um, yeah. So thinking about, oh, the fact that it may not have existed for some people and in certain cases years ago. So that puts a whole new spin on what's what could, like, like what help they had access to. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't explain that very well. No, you're, I just, I can't imagine not having 911. I feel like it'd be terrifying to not have it. I agree. So that's why Ben is, and Angela, neither of them have called 911 yet. Gotcha. So okay. good to clarify. Yes. So now that Ben has called Angela multiple times and her phone is dead, he decides to go over there. So he gets in his car, drives over there, knocks on the door. She doesn't answer. Tries to get in, like, sees if there's any windows or doors open. There aren't any. And it's, like, dark in there. Right. So he's like, what the heck? And And this is Ben. Sorry. I didn't This is the boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, Ben. Okay, gotcha. So at this point, he ends up calling the police. And he actually has a car phone for his job. Oh, that's nice. So even though cell phones aren't existing yet, he has a way to call the police Mm-hmm. without being inside a house. Yeah, that's, um, like the, that's pretty schnazzy for the yes, time. Yeah, fancy, cool. fancy. So he calls the police, and the police arrive and break down the door at 2.17 p.m. So the call first time she calls Ben is 1.45. Mm-hmm. It's now 
about 30 minutes later. Yeah. So he got there quick. Yeah. He got there quick. And then also that's 30 minutes, though, for something to happen. That's a lot of time. Yeah. And as we know, with the Suzanne Joven case, Mm -hmm. we have that 30 minutes of time where nobody knows what happened, but she was brutally murdered in that span of time. So, yeah. Campus murders in 30 missing minutes. Yeah. What's that? A lot can happen in that short. I mean, it seems Mm -hmm. short, but it's really long. Yeah. So Janice Crowther, who is a police officer and only 20 years old. Oh, so like terrifying new new police officer. Yeah. Is one of the responding officers. Um, So Janice and her partner enter the home and start looking around. And Janice takes the main living area and her partner heads to the bedroom So Janice later said that she had a terrible feeling from the moment they got there. And this is what when it goes back to like the why I explained the whole like atmosphere of the night Mm -hmm. is like so many crazy things were probably happening that night. Yet Janice felt like super weird about this one call. Sure. A woman's intuition is always right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Especially about when it is pertaining to other women. For sure, yeah, I think so too. It's really weird. We're all in tune with each other. We I are. think it's interesting. We can sync up, and we can <laughs> we can tell when we've been hurt. When other we're like, it's like a spider sense. It's so true. It tingles. It does. <laughs> Janice was tingling up in Angela's apartment. Yeah, she's like something's, something's weird. Up. I like it though. I, I do like too. it. It's a weird sixth sense that we all have. <laughs> so she was right. Um. So while she's checking out the kitchen. She hears her partner say she's back here. So when Janice walks into the bedroom, she sees Angela's naked body dangling off the bed. Her <gasps> oh, legs I didn't like dangle that way. You just dangling is a terrible word. Well, I she hate is. That word. Her like she's not fully laying on the bed. Her body's like falling off of it. Oh, and okay. her she's been raped. She's naked. And you ready for the grossest thing ever? <laughs> okay, I guess she was stabbed eighteen times. And there was so much blood that it looked like her heart was outside of her chest and her eyes were open. No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Imagine being a 20-year-old police officer and this is like one of the first scenes you're on and this is what you freaking walk into. Uh, This is like Dallas. It's not like they have a low crime rate. It's a major city. Yet they're still freaking out because this, like, really kind, beautiful woman who, like, didn't have any issues with anyone was murdered this brutally right off of campus. Right. And it's not okay. No. (laughs) And police need to get answers really quickly. So the first suspects on their list are Ben, the boyfriend, because, duh. Uh Uh-huh. Angela's ex-boyfriend from her hometown of Abilene. Which is also kind of a duh, like ex-boyfriend. Yeah, any sort of boyfriend or romantic yeah. rela- remote, romantic partner would obviously be the first one you would look into. Yes. And then Russell, because he was the guy out with her that night. Mm-hmm. Those all three make sense. Yes, I agree. And those are like their only suspects ever. Okay, that's <laughs> dumb. So. Okay. <laughs> we are pre-DNA, but yes. only a tiny bit. Yeah, about so, 10 years out, roughly. Yeah, or a little less, I think. So law enforcement knew at this point to collect everything mm-hmm. and, like, take really good care of it, but they just couldn't test it yet. So I think they're, like, on the cusp of DNA right now. Right. And so they also collect blood evidence, which at the time was basically the best piece of forensics evidence you could get. It's kind of how we view DNA today. And since Angela fought her attacker a lot, which is awesome— 
there is like tons of the attacker's blood also on the crime scene. So they test it and they get a pretty big break in the case like the day they start doing it. So the attacker's blood was non-secreting, which is really rare. Only about 20% of the population has non-secreting blood. You'll have to explain that to me. I will. Okay. Okay. So if you're a secretor, which we probably are, most people are, Mm -hmm. it means that there are blood antigens in your other body fluids. So like your saliva, like blood antigens would be in it. Right. So it's like your bodily fluids kind of mixes in Mm -hmm. with your with the antigens. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay. And if you're a non-secretor, that's not the case. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. That's cool. Yeah. So it's just another way of like narrowing down blood types. It's just an even right. more narrow. And so it's really lucky that they got this super rare blood type. Yeah. Goodness. So Ben is super cooperative, obviously. Of course. He's immediately ruled out because he's not, he is a secretor. Yeah. Same goes for the ex-boyfriend. He's also a secretor. So all we have left is Russell. So I okay. <laughs> I, I was already suspect of Russell when you first oh, mentioned you? that he was kind of like rejected. Yeah, and boys he's a little do not older. take rejection very they well, don't. and then they murder people because they have issues. With they their murder masculinity. <laughs> they murder women, not people. They murder women specifically. No, they murder. Well, I mean, yeah, but then also like mass murders too. Yes, <laughs> uh, and it's gross. They just hop. <laughs> when, when you're upset, go do just something like, that's not murder. Listen, listen. Rejection happens to us all. We all get upset about it. You do not have to react like that. <laughs> it's okay. It will not be the only time you are rejected. And I promise that people are not always going to reject you because of this one time. Just saying. And you don't need to murder anyone about <laughs> yes, it. Yes, and you don't need to kill anyone. That's such a dumb... Okay, Go to therapy. Such a stupid excuse. Okay, <laughs> continue. Okay, so when the police arrive at Russell's house, which is like just a few days after the murder, like I want to say... It was Monday, and this happened on Friday. Mm -hmm. So Russell acts really weird. So first he says he doesn't know why they're there, and he doesn't know what happened to Angela. And they're like, do you live under a rock? (laughs) Yes, it's like, where have you been? Like, she's all over the news. It's Mm -hmm. like a super gruesome murder, and it's your friend. Like, how do you not know this? Right. So that's the first weird thing. And then the second weird thing is he said he went to Houston to visit his family the next morning. And there was like a wedding, this whole thing. Okay. So he wasn't in town the whole weekend. And then when he got back, he just went straight to work. So he's like, that's why I didn't know about it. But then they're, you know, like that to him is like a defense. But to them, all they can see is, oh, you left town the morning after this happened. Like, and you're mm. admitting to it. That's not great. Mm. Sounds like a cover up. Yeah. So they're like. Okay, (laughs) this woman who you went out with the other night, who previously rejected you, has been raped and murdered. Why don't you come with us? We're going to chat. We're going to have a conversation. (laughs) We're going to take your blood. It's going to be a whole thing. So they talk to him. He sticks to his story. Mm -hmm. And then they take his blood and test it. And I will tell you the results of that blood test in part two. Oh, you jerk. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.